श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय फूल भक्त बिंद की जय फूल प्रेम आनंदी मॉर्निंग एवरीवन नाइस टू बी हियर सो डज एनीवन हैव एनी क्वेश्चंस दिस मॉर्निंग Jenny's always asking this question Maharaj but okay. how do we know that the soul is eternal Okay. Know that after life there's something there. Would that be correct to say that, Jenny? Yeah. She asked that. She goes. That's the starting place. Yeah. How do we know? Jenny, by the way, is Gopi's mom. Nice to meet you. Hmm. Well, I think that um, in order to answer the question, we would have to define what a soul is. You ask the question, or the question is asked: How do we know that the soul is eternal, right? And that it exists in, after I, death? So the question presumes that there is such a thing as a soul to begin with. So um, maybe the question would be better: Is there a soul or not? Because I think. By definition, at least our, our definition of a soul would would be something that is supernatural. It, it it's not biological in its composition, and thereby, therefore, it's not um, um, something that is subject to the biological demise of our um, present uh, organism. So. I think maybe that would be a better way to think about the question: Is there a soul? Is there something? Because if there's a soul that's not eternal, then what is it? And what? what um, and it's if it's a biological, we should have found it by now, um, I would think. So, is there? Is there? Is there? Um, does is there a survival? I guess you could say is a kind of a contemporary way of talking about that. Is there a self that survives the biological death? And how, if there is, how would we how would we know? Something like that, I think, is a way to think about the question. Um, and um, <coughs> excuse me, it's a big subject, obviously, and. <coughs> I would think that um, that the uh, with reference to the sacred text of the the uh, the Hindus, Vedanta, and so forth, uh, we would look to that which we call consciousness hmm? when seeking to uh, uh, more, most comprehensively uh, define the, the self. Um, we, we have a biological self and that's always changing. Um, constantly in flux and a psychological identity that's also changing and 
And um, <clears throat> um, so amidst that biological and psychological flux and a sense of identity that, that, that forms there and changes and, uh, and can be in question of itself and so forth. Is there anything that's enduring? Hmm? Um, and so in, in Vedanta then the, the, the reflection is based on experience that, um, that, that uh, we are... Um, um, I want to say we, we're, we're conscious, we have consciousness, um, and they would project then that the, the self is consciousness, and consciousness is something, when properly understood, that uh, something that endures and is independent of the biological and psychological um, makeup that we are presently uh, familiar with that we sometimes call ourself. Hmm? It's hard to get a grip on because it's constantly kind of changing and needs to be altered, it would seem, to be improved, uh, and, uh, and so on. So <clears throat> I think that we... Um, we function in the world in a way uh, such as to indicate that we um, we we believe, if you will, or we without thinking about it, we function in such a way that the conclusion would be that that we we have a we we, we engage in actions hmm, because of 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 something we. Um, referring to my head here, we we think about hmm? that the objective physical world is informed by a subjective um, realm of thought and and um, and more more than thought. Hmm? Um, uh, what I mean by more than thought. I would say is is just the very idea that um, of experiencing thought. Um, in other words, uh, the very fact that we are an experiencing entity. Hmm? I have often said that if there was any experience. In the world, uh, what, 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 if the question: What is the most profound experience that, that we have in the world? You've been around for a while. Me too. Some of us others. We've had a lot of experiences. So, what is the most profound experience? I would say, but across the board, whether it be young or old, in human society, the experience, the most profound experience we have is the fact that we experience in the first place. This, what I'm saying by that, is what uh, largely then distinguishes us from another aspect of reality that is non-experiential. We don't think that matter is 
inherently experiential. It's an objective um, phenomenon that we ourselves examine and um, place value in uh, where there isn't otherwise. Um, <clears throat> so there's an objective realm and a subjective realm. And the objective realm is moved by the subjective realm. That's how we function in everyday life. We act as if that's how things work. Hmm? Um, and and so, <clears throat> according to the Vedanta, we, we would be, we are, I should say, part of the subjective world. Hmm? We are um, consciousness, we are not the thought, but we are the, the, the thinker, the, the feeler, the, the taster, uh, the, the experiencer. We don't experience, uh, we don't see because we have eyes, we don't hear because we have ears, but these things give us a filter hmm? and, and, and provide some limited experience of what the objective world is like that registers in, in, in the mind. Hmm? And, um, and, and we, we act as if someone's there, you know, it's the, uh, experiencing. Hmm? There are the experiences provided by the, by the senses of the objective world, uh, qualia, let us say, the experience of red, the experience of blue, the experience of happy or sad, which is all subjective. Um, you know, what's happy for you or sad for you, what's red for you. might be red for me, but we kind of say we, it's exactly the same red. Hmm? It's, it's, uh, it's subjective. Hmm? So those subjective experiences and feelings um, really don't make much sense unless there's an experiencer of them. <clears throat> and... So, according to the Vedanta, we, we see ourselves then as units of subjective, first-person, uh, experiential reality. And in, in, in by that definition, we are very different from objective, third-person, non-experiential reality. You follow me? The physical um, world, <coughs> the world of things and so forth. We can measure. So the the question here is kind of like, how can we measure the the soul? How can we see it, know it, uh, and 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 know that it endures uh, beyond the physical demise and so forth? Well, that question uh, presumes that 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 there's a measurable, um, the self is measurable, if you will, like the physical objective world is, but it's actually the measurer. Hmm? In other words, uh, consciousness posits value on, on matter, gives it meaning, and so forth. Hmm? Matter wouldn't matter if it weren't for someone to matter about it. So does matter matter about itself? <clears throat> You could argue that matter has a mind. There's not a lot of evidence for that. <clears throat> we don't act as, as such. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, 
we think that matter matters. I mean, we, it's just it's just a thought. <laughs> In other words, if matter mattered independent of consciousness, who would know about it and who would care about it? Um, it wouldn't matter. We are the carers. We are what matters. We we. we so the subjective is not this ethereal, um, less significant, less real realm than the physical. The physical has no meaning and value without it. It's, it's infinitely more real. Hmm? Um, but it's infinitely uh, more intangible in a physical um, sense. We want to arrest it and prove that it exists and what it is by measuring it, defining it, hmm? um, like we can objective physical things and so forth. And that's kind of what's behind the question. In other words, the question is wrong, in other words, in a sense, to, to begin with. It's the wrong way of thinking about the issue. Hmm? Uh, because... Uh, the measurer is, you know, is, is not to be measured. You, you, a ruler can't measure itself. So, to measure, we can measure the objective world, but there's a subjective component to existence, uh, and it's very, it's very important to us. It's, what, it's I. As I've said before, I is the most used word in every language. Hmm? It's what means the most to us, Hmm? what we talk about the most, what we think about the most, and what we love the most, and what we know the least about. Why do we know the, the, the least about it? Because we're accustomed to knowing about things. Hmm? Because we have the capacity to know about things, but we ourselves are not a thing. The best things in life are not things. Hmm? Um, this consciousness is 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 in somewhat intangible, somewhat undefinable, hmm? but for good reasons. Because we can only define something um, by way, really, of comparison. So there's nothing in the objective, non-experiential world that is compares to. Um, <clears throat> the subjective, experiential world of consciousness. They're diametrically opposed. Hmm? I've given an example before, it may be worth repeating, that if you, if you were playing pool, hmm? billiards, you know, you hit the ball with the, with the stick and it goes in a hole or hits another ball and so forth. Well, we never would expect one of those balls to say, ouch, at a certain point. Or, you know, could you put me in a different hole or something like that? Or use a little more chalk or something. It's funny to say it. I mean, it's kind of silly. That's how silly um, really is uh, the, the argument <coughs> that, that consciousness arises out of matter, that experiential reality arises out of non-experiential reality. That, that makes no sense. We, don't, we wouldn't expect that to happen at any time. And, and there's, in other words, a pool ball is made up of the same elements, the same exact ingredients that everything else in the, in the physical world is made up of, including the brain. Hmm? There's nothing 
in terms of uh, basic content in the brain, really, that's different than a pool ball. Hmm? Or atoms bouncing against one of the same basic stuff. Hmm? And so, for it to bounce around or whatever in the neurons fire in there in such a way that all of a sudden somebody starts saying, hey, I'm in here, something like that. That's as reasonable to me as a pool ball saying, ouch, at some point. Long time ago, Locke said, he, he, he posited the idea that consciousness appears out of matter. Hmm? A, a, a famous, um, what is his name, Kirk? Kirk? Yeah, I think he's a, is, is a um, yeah, yeah. He makes the statement. This is astonishing proposal. This revolutionary idea. He said that I, I'm going to propose that consciousness emerges out of the out of the brain. That's actually an idea as old as Locke, which is centuries ago. Who? So it's nothing, not a new um, speculation, if you will, but. Um, in that uh, speculation, Locke says, just as bile emerges out of the liver, so consciousness emerges out of the out of the out of the brain. Hmm? I mean, it's amazing that such an analogy would be thought to be you know, <laughs> um, meaningful. Analogies are only as meaningful as they match up, and you know, on all points and so forth. And bile, of course, is a physical stuff, and so is the liver. Hmm? It's not subjective, and how different is the subjective from the objective reality? It's, it's, it's absolutely, entirely uh, different. There's no way to even begin to describe how different it is. Hmm? It's the antithesis. Um, experiential reality, consciousness, Versus matter, they're they're they're, they're um, and and you, you, we cannot expect logically or reasonably for experience hmm, or experiential reality to arise out of non-experience. How will experience arise out of non-experience? I mean, it's not even a meaningful question. Hmm? Out of non matter is non-experiential. This is my theory here. Hmm? What do you think? So, uh, will, will it start experiencing at a certain point? Hmm? You could theorize that it would, but I'm saying that experiential reality is so different, so diametrically opposed, the subjective is so different than the objective um, reality that the two are ontologically uh, different. Um, and so I don't think that it's reasonable to ask, for example, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? I think a more reasonable question would be, is there a biological makeup to consciousness or is there not? That would be an unbiased and objective way to look at the issue. Hmm? It's a popular uh, question, unanswered question in science. What is the biological makeup of consciousness? I say that it's a question asked 
with a bias that's not scientific or objective to begin with. Hmm? Is there a biological makeup to consciousness would be uh, objective. And there's good reason to believe uh, that there's not. There's good, there's good reason. I'm kind of offering some of it. There is human intu- universal human intuition as well. Um, intuition, of course, is questionable. You could have intuition that we should turn left and someone else, not your son, might have intuition we should turn right. Maybe we should have gone straight. Um, but when, you, when the intuition is, is universal in, in every human being, Freud said it like this. He said, I get these patients and they all seem to have this like oceanic feeling hmm? that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. Uh, indeed, we all, whether we admit that, and Freud would admit to that he had it, but but we all, if Freud included, all pursuing that. We're all pursuing, I would say, the more in life that, 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 that really the subjective unit of consciousness is. It's more. It doesn't fit inside of matter. Hmm? And in human life, this, this, this consciousness that animates matter gets to a point in this particular vehicle of the human dress that it can think about itself. Hmm? That's why we're having these kind of conversations. <coughs> I say it goes all the way down. And all matter is informed by, by consciousness. But consciousness is shaped by matter to one extent or another, just like our capacity to drive at a certain speed will be shaped by the car that we're in. So if you're in a you know, BMW, you can go fast. If you're in a Volkswagen, you can, go, you can go slow. If you're in a human body, you can think about yourself. If you're in an animal body, your consciousness is not facilitated by that particular body to be as, at least, self-conscious. That there's a me, and I should think about why am I, and so forth. Animals are not troubled by these kind of thoughts. It wouldn't appear, why am I? This is a huge, huge problem for human um, beings. And it's a subjective problem. It's a consciousness problem. In other words, a how problem would be a a, a biological problem. How do I eat? How do I sleep? How do I mate? How shall I protect myself? These are all how questions. Hmm? And they're asked in less complex forms of life. And nature answers them. Hmm? So all of the less complex forms of life, like say, let's say animals, birds, and so forth, they have, these questions are answered by nature. Now, our question today is along the lines of why? How do we know? What is it? What are we? Why? Those are not questions that matter can answer because matter is not asking those questions. Consciousness is asking those questions. Hmm? The why, the value, consciousness gives the value to matter. Hmm? When consciousness reflects on matter, gives it meaning, and so on and so forth, then it, it takes on that meaning. So the, the a value question, a why question, <laughs> this is a question for consciousness. The consciousness asks, "How will how will it's an experiential question? Hmm? Why am I existing the way I am, and why am I experiencing, and what am I experiencing? What is it about?" Me. This is what human life is 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 really all about. 
It's what differentiates us from the other less complex forms of life, that we're pressed by this kind of question. And we try to answer it sometimes without thinking deeply about it. Hmm? Um, and I think that to think deeply about it would be to come to the... And, and not thinking deeply about it, so therefore we try to be the more that we are than the physical by stretching the limits of, the, of what we can do physically. We try to fly to the moon, for example. Birds fly better than us, but they never think of trying to fly to the moon. Hmm? Or they don't think of diving to the bottom of the ocean like we do. Hmm? We want to fly to the moon and beyond. We want to go to the bottom of the ocean. And we want to um, stretch the limits of, of what we can do physically that we find other species are limited to. Bird is limited to certain activities. A fish is limited to certain activities. We feel we shouldn't be limited. We should be able to do what a fish can do, what a bird can do, and uh, more or less, kind of, hmm? something like that. Because we sense that there's more to us than the, than the physical. We're always pushing the limits, hmm? looking for the more. But th- to think this out well is to come to the conclusion that, that the nature... And the physical world is not going to answer that question. It's, it's all, again, a why question, a quality question. What am I? Why? I mean, what is my, what is my capacity? Uh, uh, um, why, do I, why do I suffer? I don't want to. Hmm? These kinds of questions are questions coming from consciousness. Hmm? And so, as I say, matter, nature, can't answer them definitively. Only consciousness can answer them. And and it it would appear that although we are consciousness, we're having trouble answering them at the same time. We can ask the questions, Hmm? but to arrive at a at a at a at a a comprehensive answer seems uh, difficult. So we we could it indicates that although we're consciousness, we're like a spark of consciousness. We we, 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 we we would do well to connect with our source, so to speak, and there we might find the answers. Hmm? Is there a reservoir of consciousness that we could approach for answers about ourselves as a spark of that, rather than try to get answers from non-experiential reality, matter, to questions posed as only they could be by subjective experiential reality? Hmm? Um, so that's the whole idea then, excuse me, if you will, of, of revelation, that, there, that there's information that from beyond the um, realm of time and space, sensual perception, thought, and so forth, that, um, that we, can, we can connect with in the world. Hmm? It's a reasonable um, argument that... Uh, that uh, such such a thing exists. Let us say, if we if the finite is to you know, ourselves is to know the infinite, you know, it seems mathematically impossible. But if the infinite should choose out of its infinite capacity to make itself known to us, then it becomes possible. That would be the idea of 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 something like uh, a form of of, of revelation. 
So, I mean, sure, Revelation, you take a book like the Bhagavad Gita, it's just a book made of glue and print and paper and ink and, and so on and so forth. But we see that if you approach that book on its terms with good guidance, your experience changes. Hmm? You, can, uh, uh, you can experience that you're a unit of enduring reality. Hmm? You say, how, will I, how do I know there's a soul? Well, you know, you really have to go there to find out. That's the whole point. You, you want to know it without going there. You want to know it on physical terms hmm, that you can measure. And, and so, but this is something different. You're different. That's exciting that you're different. But, it, but it's, also, it's also challenging that you're different. You're immeasurable. Immeasurably small, but immeasurable. That's different from matter. It's measurable hmm? uh, to an extent. Hmm? So we're different. We're in that sense. Consciousness is, is consciousness is very different than matter. Hmm? It can't be measured. It doesn't make it any less. It makes it more meaningful. Hmm? It's not like anything in the world. It means it's very extraordinary. Not like we should dismiss it because we can't we can't fit it into. Um, into that which we can measure, and, and meanwhile we're doing the measuring, and we're it's very um, <coughs> confused kind of idea. So we ask, is there a soul that transcends, that, that lives on, and, and, and so on and so forth? If there is, how would we know it? How can we measure it? How can we uh, control it, which is what it means to measure? And the answer is, well, if there is something like that, it's not controllable in that way. It's of a different nature, than matter. That's the very idea. If it endures, then it, obviously it's not limited by time and space. You want to find it, kind of locate it in time and space and examine it and prove it on, in the laboratory of time and space uh, that in, a, in a way that it, it, by very its nature, doesn't conform to hmm? such a proposal. Hmm? There, was a, there was a saying that the salt doll wanted to taste the ocean. What's the implications of that? Hmm? In order for the salt doll to taste the ocean, it would become the ocean. Hmm? As soon as it entered the ocean, it would dissolve. Hmm? So if, if, you, if, you, if you want to understand what it means that you are a subjective unit of reality and consciousness, the idea that consciousness is different from matter, if you want to, that sounds interesting. How can I know that? You have to go there. Now, you say, well, great, okay, great, that sounds great. I, I don't know if I want to take the trouble. Hmm? But if you don't want to take the trouble, and therefore you don't want to know, hmm? um, then it's probably not worth asking the question on the, on the one hand. But the, the other side of it is, what if you're not? What if consciousness is not enduring? Hmm? And it just arises out of matter and disappears in due course and so forth. And the lights are on, but there's nobody really there. That's what's being said by the, you understand, the antithesis of that. You're just, it's just like pool balls bumping up against one another and that's out for a while and they just become again unconscious. Um, there's no real self there. There's an illusion of a self that we think is a soul that endures. Um, 
you know, there's a famous book years ago by a fellow named Ryle called Ghost in the Machine. It was part of everybody's education, higher education. And he thought was thought to have dismissed once and for all, retired the idea that there's an eternal soul inside the machine of the body. It's all based on a mechanistic idea of the world, hmm? which is a Newtonian kind of idea that Newton himself, by his very discovery of gravity, hmm, moved light years away from a mechanistic um, the idea that the world's a machine. Hmm? The world's a machine means, for example, it, it, it was thought to be like a, like a machine and predictable and, and motion required contact. Without, without contact, there's no motion. That's how it was thought. And then Newton discovered a theory of gravity and they said, what are you, becoming an occultist again? Because there's movement without contact. Hmm? Do you understand? What happened at that point was that the world became much less mechanistic, much less like a machine, much less the physical world, much less describable, understandable. Hmm? And we just, after a while, said, well, we'll just like forget about that. Maybe we'll, we'll we, you know, we just put it into the, into, into the natural sciences, just part of it, nothing more said. But it was a huge question. How can it be contact without, uh, uh, movement without contact? Hmm? And, and Newton was actually accused of, again, waxing a cult. Because you couldn't, f- so they just said, well, okay, you know, I guess it's true. He thought maybe in the future we'll find it. It's never been found out. You can say, well, large bodies attract small bodies. Hmm? That's kind of gravity, hmm? but why do they? In ha- you know, it doesn't really answer the. It's a mystery. It's a mis- it's a mystery. So the world started to become less predictable, less understandable, less mechanistic, and and so on and so forth. And the I- if you look today at the world, the idea that the world is this predictable, the physical world is this is this is really a defined thing. It's absurd. Hmm? It's totally undefinable. Hmm? Um, so, so the idea, what's been exercised is not the ghost, but the machine has been exercised more than the ghost, hmm? more than consciousness, which now has, has not been understood. Hmm? After centuries of science, it's, it's, it's the most um, troubling question in terms of explaining everything uh, what is consciousness hmm? and um, of course again the whole effort is to is to explain it as a physical phenomenon and our theory is that it eludes such a description because it's not of that nature and there's good uh, there's, there's this is a common sense idea it's a humanly a human Intuition, it's a reasonable idea. Hmm? I mean, to say that, 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 um, to say that <coughs> consciousness is something that is not primal, 
but it emerges out of matter at a certain time, then it disappears and so forth, just kind of a passing thing. Like, again, like bile comes in the, you know, liver, no big deal. Um, is to, is, is, is really, um, it's like saying that I'm dead. This is to say I am dead. And that makes no sense. Right? If I say I am dead, well, you have to be alive to say that you're dead. So that makes no sense. To say that consciousness is not foundational is as silly as that because it requires consciousness to say consciousness is not foundational. I don't think that consciousness is actually causal, that it has any real um, value or, or meaning. It's just, it, it's, ju- it's just a material phenomenon. So this is all like saying, as meaningful as saying, I am dead. Hmm? I mean, and these are the thoughts of of the of the Vedantists, like Shankar, from centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries ago. Hmm? That which is real, that which is enduring, is that which cannot be denied. We cannot deny consciousness because it requires consciousness to de- to deny it. <coughs> so it's a very this is very like it's hard to think about hmm? consciousness. But that's that's good. That's cool. We're like that. Hmm? We're pretty different. We're pretty unpredictable hmm? and, 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 and free by nature and so forth. So the theory is that it's a good one, that we are not biological. Death is biological. There's a biological life, but life itself hmm, is not biological. It moves within a biological circle hmm, for some time, but it's no more, more dependent upon that biological circle, then, uh, then electricity is dependent upon a light bulb. If I was to unscrew the light bulb up here, we'd say, I see, there's no light. Well, we'd say, well, you know, <laughs> there's no light there. But, yeah. yeah you, you know, you, you stopped light from appearing in that situation. Hmm? But the force that is light, that is, that is electricity and so forth, exists. So there's a biological demise. <coughs> That's true. Hmm? Our body will die. Hmm? But we have no experience of not experiencing. Hmm? Why should we think that at some point we won't? Hmm? Why should we think that experiential reality will, will, is, is derived from and will recede back into non-experiential reality? That's not very reasonable. And we don't let it live our lives like that practically. Hmm? You say, well, can we, how can we prove the soul? You can say, how can you prove that you exist? You can't. Your existence, as you experience it, is private. You understand? It's your own private experience. How you experience red, white, blue, green, happy, sad, that's, that's, that's you. Hmm? You can't prove objectively that that exists. Hmm? But you live your life as if it does. You're not waiting to prove it. Hmm? You live your life as if you exist. That's why you get up in the morning. Hmm? Are you waiting to prove that? No. Hmm? That something needs to be proved objectively would presume that everything is objective. Hmm? So to reduce the subjective to the objective, this is an unreasonable proposal. Let them have their own realms. And then it's a lot to evaluate which is more important. Hmm? 
we're absorbed in the physical realm, so we've, we've been led to believe, or we've, we've convinced ourselves that the physical realm is more important. People say, well, that's only in your mind. Well, only in your mind? Is mind some lesser thing? Or is mind maybe some more thing than matter? Hmm? And as we move towards mind, we move towards more subtle reality, and of course, ultimately, consciousness. We would look at, at mind as kind of a subtle form of matter, hmm? that is, a, that is the, the medium through which consciousness, which is spiritual rather than material, communicates with the gross material world and, and, and gets some experience of it. Again, we talk about the physical world, the machine, as it was thought in, in mechanistic, um, like in Newtonian times and so forth, um, but even in more recent times, um, Heisenberg demonstrated that you know you don't really experience the world, you only experience your experience of the world. Hmm? So we never even touch it, whatever it is. It's so intangible. What's his name? Famous atheist, um, Russell, Bertrand Russell. He wrote um, <clears throat> in the late 20s about the nature of matter. Hmm? You know what conclusion he came to? He came to the conclusion that really all we can say is that we are consciousness. That's all we really know. All we really know is our own consciousness. That's all we really know. So to, to try to like now make consciousness matter as if it, that would make it matter more is very backwards thinking. We, we, we get under the influence of, of, of that kind of thinking <coughs> for different reasons for a long time. So it's an understandable question. But if we analyze the question carefully, we see it's, it's, it's kind of a, not that, um, it's kind of a question you can't, it's not very meaningful to ask. Um, I mean, it is, because it, it brings up this kind of discussion and so forth. Hmm? So, so if, if we say, with good reason, that consciousness is the part of the ex- experiential subjective reality, hmm? and it's different ontologically, from the physical reality, then all material things are constrained by time and space, right? All bodies of matter are constrained by time and space. So if consciousness is different from matter, then we could say it's not constrained by time and space. Hmm? The realm of time and space pertains to matter. Hmm? So if consciousness is different from matter, then it doesn't, it's not constrained by time and space, which means what? It has no beginning. And what else? It has no end. Hmm? It's not constrained by time. It has no beginning. It has no end. So, now do we know it? No. Hmm? But can we talk about it in such a way, is the point, that we might have impetus and be compelled to take an exciting uh, journey 
in, into the ocean, <laughs> the challenge, and, 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 and make less of that which is less, the physical reality. Make less of it. Hmm? And make more of the subjective reality. Hmm? That's what yoga is about. It makes less of the physical reality. Therefore, we find that in yoga and in, in genuine spiritual practice, there are restraints that we place upon our senses in an effort to restrain the draw from a, of, the, of our psychic dimension, our mind, and so forth. Yoga is like about freedom, you know. It always looks like that. When it's, you know, even you're twisted up, you look like free and so on and so forth. But, but there are restraints, of course, that are very much part of the yoga that are thought to be freeing. Liber- to, be, to constrain your mind is, not to, is to not be constrained by your mind. Hmm? To constrain your senses is to not be constrained by your senses. Hmm? If you want to control something, you can control the physical. So you control it, and rather have it, have it rather than have it define, um, uh, control, um, or appear to yourself. So, in spiritual practice, <coughs> for example, we, we think certain things will be favorable for spiritual practice; certain things will not. We have a certain lifestyle, what we may eat, where we may go, um, what kind of how we live, hmm? in what kind of environment, and so on and so forth. These are constraints, if you will, one way to, to look at them. Ultimately, we find, as we become successful in yoga and spiritual life, we find that we're comfortable with, even with less movement. We can be comfortable to sit. Hmm? You want to sit. This is one of the reasons we want to sit and, and do yoga, for example, in meditation, because... The moving world is uncomfortable. It's like, I've got to sit down here, you know. Sit down, and it's not very restful. I'm keeping being chased by, by thoughts and by, by the draw of my senses, and uh, I need some peace, and so let me sit. Hmm? But I'm not successful in sitting and being peaceful because I've got thoughts, and I've got desires in my heart that, that are defining a sense of me. How do I know that I will exist beyond death? Well, in one sense, again, I said, let's define what, what I is, because that I am American, that will not exist beyond death. Hmm? That I am a woman, that will not exist beyond death. Hmm? That I am, you know, from the Midwest or something, that, that will not, that I is illusory. Hmm? It's a given. We say, yeah, that won't. But will experiential reality close down? Hmm? No, that's another thing. Hmm? That's a particular experience, for that matter. Hmm? So in yoga and spiritual life, what, what we find is we become successful. We, we, we identify that, okay, I'm, I, I, if I, if my sense of I is defined by my desires by what I think is mine, hmm? well, that's a recipe for a problem because nothing is mine, and that's what time tells us. So the I that's based on our various attachments and desires and so forth, that you might as well kill it today because it's, it's going to die anyway. 
it's, it's what's killing you. It's killing you from knowing that you, the, the more that you are. Hmm? So yoga is about that. You say, will I exist after death in your spiritual path? In our spiritual path, you will kill that I. Hmm? That's what we're doing here. And you're asking if it will exist. We hope not. Hmm? We're trying to kill it. <laughs> we're trying to dissect it in the, what, the illusory nature of it and so forth. But who's dissecting the illusory nature of that self? Hmm? That will emerge. Hmm? That's who will emerge in the course of the dissection at a certain point. Hmm? And, and, and what is the nature of that self? Hmm? It's not made up of, of the false idea that things are mine. It's made up of the sense of, I am. I am. Not I am American. No, that's that's a, that's an imposition. That I am. Oh, that's but that that's another thing. That's for sure. That's the only thing you really know. <laughs> that I am. As Russell said, I am. <laughs> that we know. I think we know. <laughs> so, so yoga is for confirming that. Hmm? For, for confirming that I am, that I exist. And I'm a unit of enduring experiential existence. Hmm? And I exist independently of matter. I'm ontologically different. I, so what we find in yoga, that's what we're finding. Persons are happy and fulfilled with less. Hmm? Right? Less things. Hmm? Because you're giving up certain things that are part of a false identity and so on and so forth. And you're living in the idea, nothing belongs to me. Hmm? It's a very different way of looking at the world like, how can I, you know, without thinking about it consciously, we kind of look at the world as if how it will facilitate my sense of, false sense of I. So in the yogic uh, disposition, we, we start to look at the world differently. Hmm? We, we, and we say, nothing is mine. Hmm? We start to live like that. We convert this enjoying, exploiting ego hmm? into a serving ego. Hmm? Nothing is, it's not, everything's not here for, for me. The, the me that's coming out of that is false. Hmm? And we said, instead of being an enjoyer, we start to be a, see ourselves as a servant. Hmm? It's, a, it's a very, it's kind of a, much, very much a, a reversal hmm? of our present identity. And what happens is we demonstrate practically that in, in various degrees, as we progress, the very theory that consciousness is independent of matter and it flourishes the more it's not entangled by identifying with matter. It flourishes more means what? You become happier. You become, I mean, that's what we live for. We live to be happy. Hmm? That's what we want. We just want to be happy. Hmm? And your parents say, well, you just want to be happy. Okay, you know. If it makes you happy, that's what matters. You know, well, that's true. And I'm going to say in a metaphysical sense, <laughs> it may not be true in a material sense because anyway, that's a, you, you understand that point. So we're pursuing the unit of ananda, of joy, of love that we are. Let's put it like that. Hmm? 
We're living, I say, for joy. I'm saying the same thing. Ananda means love. We're living for love. Hmm? That's a more beautiful way of putting it. We're living for love. Love is about giving, not about taking. Our present identity is based on being a taker. I have to take in order to preserve my sense of identity at present. Hmm? And I think if I don't take, I won't exist. Yoga is a challenge. Don't take, you will exist. And you will exist more. You will be more in terms of what you want. You will have more capacity to give. You see, this is not reasonable. It would would appear that if I gave something that I had, I would have less. Right? That's the math of it. But our experience in life is very different from that. Our experience in life is is when we give and we truly give, we grow. Hmm? That's the mystery of life. It doesn't proceed like, well, if you, if mathematically. There's more to the, to the equation. Hmm? It's not, logic is not the, you know, to be placed on the altar. Hmm? Okay, you had two things, you gave away one, and now you have less. Hmm? Our experience is, no, I feel, but I feel like I'm more. Can you prove it? Can you show me the more that you have? No, it's a different kind of more. Hmm? And I can live on that alone. Sukadev is the boy, 16-year-old boy, that spoke the great <coughs> Bhagwat. It's one of the greatest texts of the, of the uh, sacred texts of the Hindus, right? Some of you are familiar with it. The king, the, the emperor, was cursed to, to die in seven days. So he went to the bank of the Ganges to sit and ponder what to do at the time of death. <clears throat> This is a huge event. You can imagine if Obama decided, you know, what, what shall I do at the time of death? And went to the Mississippi, you know, bank and set up and said, I'm not going to do anything until I answer this question. What is, what is death? <laughs> Make the newspapers and internet and so forth. Who would go there? and Who would have the question to answer? Well, in this setting, this boy... 16-year-old naked boy appeared. His name was Sukadev. And when the sages saw him, they knew he knows the answer. Because he's naked. The implication was because he, he, he thought nothing is mine. Hmm? He, he, was, he transcended gender differences in a way that we never can by being politically correct or being just nice people, uh, as we should be. Hmm? He saw no difference between man and woman. He saw the self. Hmm? And he didn't know if he was dressed or not dressed. He was so absorbed in the subjective world and so happy and content there hmm? that he was oblivious to external conditions. So the, the wise people could understand how he knows. He's answered death. Because what's the problem with death? Why is death a problem? Because you can't take with you what you think is yours and the sense of I that arises out of that false proprietorship. That's being, that's dying for sure. If, but if you have transcended that, hmm, if you don't think anything is yours, then what kind of I will you have? Hmm? It won't be dependent upon things that inevitably will be taken away and, and whereby it will be demonstrated that that nothing is yours. Hmm? 
So it was thought he understood the question of death. He understood that he, he answered the question. So he sat to speak. He spoke this beautiful book, the Bhagavatam, which is about what to do, what is death, how to solve the death problem. Hmm? And he was so robust. I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't like emaciated and, I mean, he was like, I mean, I suppose he, he you know, anyway, he was, he was so, he was young, he was naked, and the whole assembly was being nourished by him. Hmm? He had so much demonstrated that there's a difference between consciousness and matter. He was so unconnected with the physical world, though he was here, he was in the world, he was not of the world. Hmm? Um, and he was lucid. And he could speak hmm? so powerfully and compellingly about his own experience and put it into a narrative and so forth. Uh, and, and everyone was being nourished by him. Hmm? And he had nothing material. I mean, he didn't have clothes is the point. He had no food to offer. He had no money to offer. Hmm? He had stopped thinking even. You know, he had completely, because if you think, you're going to think, I need something to eat. <laughs> I need some clothes. He had stopped, <laughs> you understand? That's yoga. He had stopped thinking. Hmm? But he, he didn't stop, it didn't stop him from knowing. It enabled him to know beyond thinking. Thinking is not knowing. Hmm? Thinking gets in the way of knowing ultimately. It's some kind of illusory, limited knowing. You cannot know the self by thinking about it. The, the salt doll can't stand on the shore of the ocean and think, what will it be like? What will it be like to be, you know, to, what is it, to, to, to taste salt? Hmm? To taste the ocean, well, I should say. Hmm? You've got to go into the ocean there. Hmm? Faith really is implies properly understood, action. Hmm? It animates the world. If you don't, if you don't believe, you can't, you, you can't go forward. If you have a doubt, if you have suspicion, you'll be suspended. Our animation will be suspended by our um, doubting. Faith is a kind of knowing that hmm? causes us to go forward. It animates our our being. Hmm? Hmm? Spiritual thoughts. Spiritual thoughts. Yeah. Stop, thinking. Stop thinking. That's what. Yeah, of course. That's another thing. Hmm? But that for that you need a spiritual mind, not a material mind. Hmm? And for spiritual doing, you need a spiritual body. Hmm? He also had that, but that is internal. Hmm? Then we find that you will get in bhakti. In jnana, you will not get that. You will stop thinking and you will stop moving. Shanti, shanti, shanti. And you will think, I love to be. I love to exist. I'm an enduring unit of existence and I love it. I don't have to die. I, I have no fear, no anxiety. No, I mean, absolutely no anxiety. You know how the anxiety you have? You go to a social event. It can be challenging. <laughs> or even dealing with your own family, it can be challenging. 
So we'll just speak of death. So no, no, no end, the end of all that. We don't know the extent to which we exist. That's why we fear. That's why we have anxiety. <clears throat> so, yes, you can overcome that by proper knowledge of the self. Hmm? And there's a discipline for that. And that is so nice that it's quite, you know, it's like, I love, I love, you can imagine, I would love that. I would love to be in that condition. But it's one thing to love to be, to love to exist, and now it's another thing to exist to love, which is better. The latter. It doesn't take any, you know, no one will say, well, you know, I'm not sure. Hmm? Oh, yes, that's very good. So love to exist would be better. Hmm? This is what bhakti posits, this idea. Hmm? And the existence is included in that. Enduring existence is included in that, no problem. And something more. That means love means there has to be movement. Hmm? And there has to be thought, but of a different nature, of a different quality. Hmm? So, for example, you see the pictures of Krishna in Leela. Hmm? What is Leela? Leela means play, literally. Hmm? Um, it's a, it, it, it means divine play. So if divinity, if God, is playing, what is that? Hmm? Is there any life to ultimate reality, to the Godhead, or is the Godhead just, I'm content to be? Huh. Wouldn't you like to be? Come and be with me, and we'll just be. We'll have a be in, and we'll just be. Yeah. Hmm? Right? We'll just be. Um, <coughs> in that condition, transcendent condition of just being, hmm, there's really no need for or sense of anybody else. And without anybody else, there's no love. Hmm? Is it... Hmm. There's a statement in the sutras, ekaki, cha ramante, something, ramante, that, that one alone cannot love. Okay, that makes sense to us. One alone cannot love. Hmm? So if we want a spiritual, if we want, if, we, if we're living for ananda, for joy, if we're living for love, it's another way, a more complete way of translating ananda, if we're living for love, hmm? We want to li- we want to be, and 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 we want to be aware that we be. We don't want matters also being, existing. It's not aware of it. Hmm? We want to live. We want to know that we live, and we want and for what purpose? For loving. Hmm? Therefore, we say consciousness is satchitananda. It's being, knowing, and loving. But if it's to realize its knowing capa- its loving capacity, well. There needs to be another, and there needs to be movement. Hmm? Love is not to be still. We cannot rest until we find love, and when we find it, you get a moment's pause, and then you got to move again on its own orbit. Love has its own orbit, right? Hmm? And so, it's a it's a it's it's a satisfying kind of movement. We move dissatisfied in pursuit of love. When we find love, then we move. Satisfied. Hmm. You know, just a very simple example. As a, a young guy 
goes to the party, you know, he doesn't have a partner, and, you know, everybody else does, he's kind of feeling awkward, and, you know, and so forth, and he's moving out of being, feeling incomplete, then he finds his partner, next party, he's just like, you know, he's moving in a different way there, he's real comfortable, hmm? or it works the other way too, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, for the ladies. Uh, so... <clears throat> Excuse me. So if we want to experience hmm, love hmm, in an enduring sense and knowing wise love, not a false appearance of love, wise love, there needs to be, we need to be in the realm of consciousness, not not in, in, in a material identity, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and which, isn't, which is in an unknowing. I think I'm American, but really I'm not, and time shows me that. So there's no real knowing there, and the being there is very uh, questionable, hmm? temporal. So we have to be in another way. Hmm? We have to be in the, realm, in the subjective realm, consciousness, and we have to know that I'm not matter. Hmm? What am I? That's hard to say, to put into words, but I'm not this and I'm not that, I can, I can say. Now, if we, want to, if we want to love, too, well, and experience the fullness of ourself as a unit of knowing, being, and loving, then in consciousness, in the realm of consciousness, there has to be a significant consciousness other, so to speak. That is what Leela is. That's what Leela the idea of Leela depicted in art and drama and music and so on and forth is speaking about. is speaking about a reality in transcendence that is argu- arguably ultimate, if you will. Hmm? Because it's not loving to be, which is, a, you could do that, it's being to love. Hmm? It's existing for the purpose of, of loving. And loving, as I said, it's, it's a movement. It requires mo- two it's two becoming one, like you and I become we. You're still there, I'm still there, but now we're we instead of you and I. It's a dynamic unity. So Leela speaks about this, that the atma, the self, that's not biological, that's not limited by time and space, it can realize itself, and a very powerful way to realize itself is through through loving, hmm? which is bhakti. And in the context of doing so, it can realize not only that I am not American, not only that I am, but that I am and have a role, I mean to say, in the leela, in the play of God, hmm? in mo- this movement in transcendence, this uh, we call leela. It's described in different ways and uh, and in and those descriptions may look to be culturally um, limited, hmm? but they, the leelas that we speak about are human-like, hmm? human-like by their very nature. There are leelas that are not human-like. They're called adhoksaja. They're overtly different from human society. Hmm? And then there are leelas that are human-like, and the idea in bhakti, in Krishna bhakti, is that the human-like leelas are more charming, more sweet. They're more playful. Hmm? You see, this is becoming more theological now, but uh, 
try to follow me if you can. If God knows everything, I've said this before, if you're omniscient, you'd think you know, you'd have solved all the problems. But the problem comes with omniscience as well. If you know everything, that's pretty boring. Think about it. If you knew everything, what would you do? I mean, you already know everything. I mean, it's like, oh. So, so God knows everything. And while we think that'd be great, he thinks that's a problem. I'm experiencing it. So what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. Hmm? That's called Leela. Hmm? And, but that Leela is real. Is hmm? giving is God uh, interacting in such a way in play that that uh, that there's a knowing I want to say in loving that is more knowing than the knowing of omniscience. Because why do we want to know? Is there any purpose in knowing, or do we want to collect information? We want to know. To be happy. Perfect knowing is, is, is not, you know, to have the perfect IQ. It's to know what you need to do to be happy. <laughs> then it's perfect. Because you could know all kinds of things and not be happy. Hmm? Right? Who's better off? Someone who knows everything and is unhappy? Or someone who knows less and is more happy? Hmm? So... So there's a kind of... Leela is kind of a divine unknowing that God, we say, puts... the God it puts itself in. Hmm? But looked at more carefully, it's, it's, a, it's a more comprehensive kind of knowing. Hmm? And the more the Leela is such, the more that it is play, hmm? the more so. Hmm? The more charming it becomes. The more loving it becomes. So the human-like leelas is a more, hmm, more the end of knowing, hmm, the culmination of knowing. Hmm. And because they're human-like, hmm, and what would they be like? This is a, this is a very interesting topic, actually. Um, what would they be like? Uh, you want to say, well, okay, you know, you're talking about these leelas and they're from India, so they're culturally bound. Obviously, transcendence must be, must be beyond cultural limitations and expressions and so on and so forth. But this, this works good if you want to, <coughs> near Vishesh Brahma, if you want to just love to be. But if, if you think that, that transcendence must have some variegatedness that doesn't compromise basic unity, hmm? You understand? Variegatedness means well, variety and and and, and movement, hmm? which, as I say, love is full of variety and movement and and so on. So, if transcendence is is, an, is a loving um, reality, then it has to have some variegatedness to it, some, some distinguishing characteristics and so forth. There's ananda, and then there's bhakti ananda. Ananda may be. Un, un, indeterminate. Joy may be indeterminate. That's very limited. If the joy is determinate and has qualities and characteristics and so forth, the more variety to it, the more potential for joy. Hmm? So, now, so if transcendence, it, a loving transcendence is, is variegated by nature, hmm? 
What will be the defining, distinguishing characteristics? What will they be? Hmm? The characteristics and so forth, we're all, we're all being derived from this side, right? From the material side. Then we want to do away with the false characteristic and the self, it's just consciousness, un, 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 undifferentiated and so forth. Now we want to go to a transcendence that, where there's thought, as you said. Spiritual thought. What will the spiritual thoughts be? Will they have nothing to do with what we experience here? What would, what would they be? <laughs> what, what's the variegatedness going to be? You understand? If it's... And the, and, the, and the leelas are human-like. They're called aprakrita. Like, just like the world, but different from it. You see, we, do, we don't want to entirely the material world from the spiritual world. The effect is in the cause. Hmm? They're related. Hmm? So bhakti is bringing these two together, actually, the transcendent and the mundane. Hmm? When, it, when it manifests, when bhava, ecstasy, hmm, manifests in a particular devotee, and he adopts something from the world and in, 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 in the expression of the Bob, those things become extraordinary. Hmm? If, for example, a devotee is living in, 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 in a holy place where, uh, and, and he says, and here I see the footprint of Krishna, then people will say, kind of looks like a footprint. Okay, could be. I don't know, but anyway, they honor it. They're honoring his bhava, her bhava, her ecstasy. Hmm? I often say, we're, you know, it may be hard to believe in God for some people, but it's not. We can see it. The boy Sukadev had it. The naked boy. Others may have. They can, they can conduct themselves, speak. They're preoccupied with this. We've got to do other things. You know, <laughs> The world is there. <clears throat> We, 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 and we, so there's no meaning of God without God. We see lighthouses on the shore hmm, to guide us from the ocean, droning it of material identification that we're taken in water. <laughs> you know, we, we're trying to float. Hmm? Like a lighthouse, they stand on the shore and show the light. And there's light, their shore, shore is here. Hmm? They stand in a world of exploitation. They're not, they're not driven by their mind's demands, the demands of their senses. They don't associate with us to get anything from us, hmm? only to give us. And we can feel it. Hmm? So if we, if we you come in touch with this love of God, then well, it's hard to deny. There's something called love of God. We think there's nobody on the other end. There's no God on the other end. They're just like, this is just, they're like making this all up and it's a whole pretense and so forth. No. Hmm. So these are very, this is so important to us. That's why the devotee is more important than that to which he or she is devoted hmm, to us. Hmm. Really. The devotee is more important than Krishna. That's a very strong statement. Well, you're more important than a god, the devotee. When we're saying love of God, there's no meaning to God hmm, without love of God. 
There's no meaning to teacher. I'm a teacher. Okay. Do you have any students that would validate that, that would make that a meaningful statement? If not, then, you know, okay. I saw somebody on the Internet announced, I decided I'm going to be a guru. And I thought, well, you know, you might want to, you got any students that might want to confirm that? That, that, you know, a, so, so there's no, without love of God, without the devotee of God, without the devotion, there's no, these two who are, therefore bhakti and bhagwan, love and the object of love, there's a, there's a unity and a, there's a oneness, oneness between them and a difference, it's a dynamic kind of oneness. And so, this leela that, that, that the two then are participating in is fueled by this bhava, by ecstasy, by love. And it has qualities and characteristic, defining characteristics. And, and it manifests in a particular, if it manifests powerfully in a particular culture, then there's no reason to believe that those cultural um, items and uh, aspects and so forth don't have any expression in transcendence, that then demark or define the Christ's leela from the Krishna leela. Krishna says, Jejatamam prapadyante. It's all possible. You'll want to think, there's one way of thinking about it. All these cultural expressions of spiritual traditions are vehicles to express something that ultimately transcends the expressions, and the expressions will be retired and they will just be. Okay. But that doesn't make for a loving transcendence. Without any, with, it has no movement, has no distinguishing characteristics. Love is full of demarcation. Hmm? At the same time, it's all all pervading. Hmm? It's very uh, so. So so the so the the, the human like leelas of Krishna. Hmm? They are characterized by the way they're expressed in the world. Uh, or you can say, by the way they're experienced in the hearts of great devotees. You say, well, they're experiencing it through a particular f- cultural filter. Well, that's true. And that cultural filter, that even their body itself, even their mind itself, hmm, takes on spiritual characteristics. So there is a spiritual mind. There is, there's a possibility of a spiritual form. Hmm? And so, <coughs> yes, excuse me. But you have to stop thinking in order to... In other words, by, when I say stop thinking, I mean you have to stop being controlled by your material mind. That's what I mean by thinking. Hmm? You're being controlled by your material mind. You have to control it as much as you can control it. And how you control it? When bhava takes over the mind, then, then, then it moves in a certain way. Hmm? And you think in a certain way. So... In order to do that, well, you have to kind of quiet down the, clut, the, the, the chatter of the mind and so on and so forth. Hmm? And as in, in the bhakti context, there's ecstasy, there's bhakti in, bhakti in practice, and then there's bhakti in ecstasy. Hmm? As you come from bhakti in practice, well, you practice controlling the mind, fo- focusing it properly. As it comes to bhakti in ecstasy, then the mind is overridden by this ecstasy, by this bhava. Hmm? And then there's spiritual thinking. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a long answer to a 
you know, an interesting <laughs> question. I don't know if I understood the answer myself, but it's just some thoughts anyway. Some thoughts. Um, and, you know, any other side of it again is just very briefly. If we, if we, if we, there's very, there is very good reason to to conclude that that we are something that endure that, that that transcends biological death. There may be powerful reasoning to think the other way as well that someone could invoke. Hmm? Okay. Now we're left with the two. Say we're left with two competing theses here. Which one is more palatable, and which one more corresponds more with how we actually lead our lives? Hmm? If the conclusion is that there's nothing that transcends, that we don't transcend death, hmm? then what we're saying by that is that we're just physical. We're just like a bunch of atoms. Bouncing and so forth. There's no real overarching meaning to life, hmm? and the debate as to whether there's a soul that transcends death or not has has no more meaning than raindrops falling on the roof and the sound of it. There's no more meaning to the discussion. Hmm? It's just pool balls bouncing up against one another, atoms colliding, and so forth. You know, you have to understand that's the implication of the argument. Hmm? that there's no self that transcends. You can posit meaning, make up meaning, but that's what you're doing. You're just making up a religion. Just making up, it's just fantasy. Who's living in the fantasy? It's really important that we vote like this. You know, okay, well, you know, says who, what, you know? I mean, it's just something, it's just just a mental construct. And if the mind is just a machine, hmm, it's just... So a computer one day says, it's really important that you, you know, I say, you're not even supposed to be talking, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, so there's no overarching you can, arching meaning, there's no real value to life. It, this contradicts the way we live our everyday life entirely. Hmm? You can say that, you can say that, you can talk that, but you cannot walk that. It's impossible to walk that kind of talk. Hmm? Like a, like a famous atheist, um, Richard Dawkins, famous now, he said, he admitted, well, okay, okay, he, was, he admitted he was challenged, uh, philosophically, he admitted, there's no difference between raping a, a, an underage girl or, um, I don't know what he said, but something like this, or, you know, kissing a baby, you know, or, 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 or giving someone, you know, your, their your child, their inheritance. There's no inherent difference. It's just, it's just atoms bumping up against one another and that's all it is. And we, we, with the mind, we, we, we place value on it. So, but in the, in the larger scheme of things, there's really no difference. That's the theory. Now, which one is more palatable? <laughs> which one is more, we, we, do we live our lives more in accordance with? Hmm? Hmm? Which, is, which one uh, has certain assumptions that, that, that follow more readily with how we actually, you know, as I say, live our lives. Hmm? Um, the, 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 the atheistic theory in this way, that, for example, I mean, I mean <coughs> like uh, will, free will. Hmm? 
we say there's some free will. We say that there's something called consciousness that transcends matter and influences matter. You can't measure it. Yeah, you can't measure it. It's not measurable. (laughs) But to say there's no, there's no free will. There's only everything is is determined and so forth. Well, that's, you know, just another fantasy. It's not how, and again, it's not how we, we live our lives. We don't really believe that. We can't, we can't walk that kind of talk. It's impossible. Hmm? You could walk a spiritual talk, though, hmm? and be a better person for it. Hmm? Even even if you say, okay, there's no. If you say there's no real meaning to life, the lights are on in there, but there's nobody really there. That that's just this biological mechanism, and it's just you know, at a certain point, it's gonna the organism is, reaches its end, and that's that's it. That there's no like. Nothing more than that. Hmm? So there's just this matter just kind of doing its thing. Hmm? The idea that there's a self in there and it's important and it's just an illusion. So if we, if we, but if we say, okay, that's what I believe, but I also believe anyway, relative as it may be, that as we live in this world, we should be the best persons that we, that we could be and we, we, you know, we could, you know, it's still better. To do it, even though there's no real meaning to that, hmm? it's still better not to rape a girl, and better to give, you know, give away your money or something like that, you know, to the poor. Hmm? There's no real difference, but still, relatively speaking, and for the sake of preserving our species, and so we should live like that. Hmm? I would say that you have more compelling reason to do that hmm? by positing a religious ideology or a spiritual ideology. You have much more compelling reasoning. You can say, well, you know, religious people, they do charity, but they do bad things. And there are a lot of humanists that do charity, too. But it hasn't been tested in the world if it was entirely humanistic, hmm? whether there would be the same uh, philanthropic measure of philanthropic urge hmm? that um, arguably comes in, comes ultimately, originally from kind of a, a religious outlook. Hmm? So, and then, so if you, you say, okay, well, we'll just say for theory, there's consciousness, and then, and then we'll be better people as a result of it. Okay, well, then, they, <laughs> so go for it, you know, go for it. Meanwhile, um, we do say there's a, there are practices by which you can validate this. You can know that I exist and I will endure in my existence beyond biological death. You can know it. You say, how can I know that? You can know it. There's a way. But the way to know it, that is what spiritual practice is. Hmm? You say, well, I want to know it independently of spiritual practice. You know, you, you have to know it. It's a subjective reality. How? So you have to take up the, 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 the method that corresponds with it. Hmm? It's a subject. Yoga, I would call a an objective, subjective kind of technology. In other words, it's, it's a pursuing the subjective with some objectivity. Hmm? It's reasonable. It's, it, it requires detachment. That means objectivity, unbiased. I'm influenced by my senses and my mind because of my attachments, you have to give those up, be objective. Hmm? And not just in the lab, you know, but 24 hours a day, you have to be objective. Hmm? 
So it's an is there's it's a subjective pursuit that in, in employs some objectivity, hmm? a considerable in considerable measure, actually. Hmm? Sorry for going on about it, but it's an interesting topic. Yes. So I was uh, talking to my business partner, Bill, the other day. Hmm. This is someone who doesn't do yoga. And we were talking about different things, and, and, the, and the topic of death came up. And he was telling me how he had experienced first his brother's death, he was there, and then his mother's death, and then his father's death. And I was saying, so how did this affect you? He said, oh, it was very profound. I said, so why was it profound? He said, it was profound because... At one moment, I saw them there, and at the next moment, they weren't there. I said, isn't that interesting? They're exactly the same body. I mean, there is no difference moment to moment. The body exists. And yet he says, yeah, absolutely. Something left. Something very... Um, that person left. And, and at that point... He was saying that his sister had wanted to be there when his mother had passed away, and he had called his sister and said, this is going to happen very quickly. And she turned up two or three minutes late, and she was so disappointed because her mother wasn't there. And I said, what does that prove, Bill? He said, oh, we aren't these bodies. That's what he thought. That's what he said. I mean, without yeah, it's kind of a common, common, common sense kind of a in, in, intuition. It's interesting also to think that you know the people people die and and um, sometimes young people die and you think you know they're missing out and so forth. But if they actually become aware, I saw a movie once on a plane. I forget the name of it, but it was a girl. Uh, it was very nice. She was um, she maybe she got cancer or something like that. And she was very young, and um, and so it. Um, it became very sad, and for everybody, and and you know, gradually, you know, she acknowledged that she was going to die, and um, it was some disease she had that her sister was born so that something from her sister could be taken to help her live, or something like that. It was very complex. You see the movie. Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting, and so um, um, well, it was a long story, complex, very interesting. But at any rate, the point is that the end is she she became very prepared for her death, and um, and and she she was very pensive and thoughtful about it, and everybody was like, you know, it's all really too bad, it's really too bad, and you know, you know, and they're all sorry, and she was the only one that was happy. She was happy because she had like resolved, you know, this is just a movie, but she had resolved that, that it was almost as if you could see, like, she was unhappy for them because they were preoccupied with this thing that, and, and she was going to disappear from it, and all of this movement going on, and, you know, concerns and worries and anxieties and, and so forth that don't pertain to the non-biological um, self, hmm? It was, it was very interesting. They were thinking it was a loss for her. She was thinking they're all at a loss. You know, this is the, I'm going for the more here, you know. This is, uh, it, was, it, was, it was nice. And it's true. Hmm? 
they go and we think for a moment, wow, that's that's very profound. And then we just carry on (laughs) after a while. Carry on and... uh, in, 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 in much in denial hmm? and in, in, in a sense in a meaningless way in relation to such a you know, understanding life means understanding death that's what it means hmm? so if we ignore that then our life is not very rich and meaningful it's not a morbid preoccupation Understanding death means understanding life. It is, is, uh, in the, the Bhagavatam does agree with a kind of a Darwinian outlook of one living being is food for another, the survival struggle for existence, but it doesn't stop there. It says that materially speaking, that's a fact, but, but you, you can exist independently of matter by being kind. Hmm? Survival of the, of the kindest, so to speak, yeah, the most generous. Yeah. Well, I said, by giving, you get. You can't show it to some. See, I got this. But other people can see it, and they go, "You do have something, and it's, and I want that. It's valuable. It's intangible, but it's it's more tangible than any any collection of uh, material acquisition, any 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 measure of material acquisition." So anyway, I very appreciate your your time and that uh, that, that 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 question, um, and I think what time is it? So we we talked for for a long time. Appreciate your patience, and I guess we'll get together again in the evening, huh? Mm-hmm.